Good morning, HBC. I was going to say something like thank you for the opportunity to preach, but I'm pretty sure no one asked you guys. <laughs> and uh, then I was going to thank Adam, but he's not here. So I don't know if any of you are going to want to thank anyone by the time we're done, but here we go. True story, and the only thing that I'm going to say that isn't on my manuscript plan, uh, I had a dream last night, uh, a fragment of one I remember, where uh, I had walked to church, I don't know why, and I got here and realized I'd forgotten my manuscript. And so I panicked, I looked around, and I, I found my friend Gary Harding, and I said, Gary, can I borrow your car? i got to drive back home. True, and if you don't know Gary, this is a very realistic detail. He goes, i got a brand new Ford Mustang, and it's a stick shift. Do you know how to drive stick shift? And I was like, no, I haven't driven that in years. Oh, what am I going to do? Then I woke up. <laughs> Thank you, Gary, anyway. If you're here. Are you here, Gary? Yes, all right. Um, so back to our scripted story today. Um, I've been reading Proverbs this year, and it's made it really clear that my tongue needs a lot of sanctification. I've counted at least 250 Proverbs about our words and how we use them. Don't worry, I'm only going to preach on 100 of them today. That, that was a joke. Um, this spring, when Adam asked each other to pick a theme to preach from Proverbs, the first thing I thought of was speech, our, our words, our tongues. Because I thought that this was a message that I would really need to hear myself. When I read Proverbs, I feel like Isaiah, when he saw the Lord in glory on his throne and cried out, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Whether it's the words we say, or how we say them, or when we say them, Proverbs offers a lot of wisdom for us on how we use our mouths. Now, today when I say words, mouth, or tongue, in addition to speech, I'm also including what we write, what we text, what we email or post online. I know Proverbs was written almost 3,000 years ago, but the internet and smartphones did not take God by surprise, and I think he's okay, I know he is, for us to include those in the idea of words when we come to Proverbs. So today's going to be a bit different. That's partly because you have a different preacher than the norm, and it's mostly because of the topic and the nature of Proverbs. Um, this is going to be a very practical message. Uh, Proverbs has a lot of arrows in its quiver, and we need to let them pierce us. So let's go. Tim and Kathy Keller have written an excellent daily Proverbs devotional. It's called God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. And on day one, we have a slide for that, I hope. Do we have a slide for this quote? Maybe not. The point of a proverb is to get rightly related to reality through hard thinking and sustained reflection. Let me say that again. The point of a proverb is to get rightly related to reality through hard thinking and sustained reflection. Hard thinking, sustained reflection. That sounds counterculture to me. A proverb is incompared to hard candy. If you bite down on hard candy right away, you don't get its flavor, you probably get a broken tooth. But if you let it sit in your mouth for a long time, you savor all its sweetness. A proverb is just like that. Read it quickly, without much thought, you're not going to get much out of it. But if you meditate on it, 
think about it, you're going to experience the full sweetness of its wisdom. I know it's not easy these days. Uninterrupted and focused deep thinking about anything is not easy to come by. I know it's true for me. What chance does a proverb have against the barrage of visual, audible, vibratory alerts on my wrist and in my pocket? There's so much stuff I can access with a couple of touches. I'm afraid that I and perhaps many of us have become people more about eyes and feelings rather than ears and thinking. But Proverbs is not just for deep thinkers. It's intended to give guidance to all of our daily lives. The Kellers conclude day one's devotional with this prayer. Lord, I prefer if you would simply tell me what to do through some inner voice or some book of specific rules for every situation. Instead, I hear you calling me to grow into a wise person who discerns what to do. Help me to answer that call and give me understanding. Amen. Is that your prayer? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that you do want to train us in wisdom. Proverbs and the rest of your word is so helpful for that. Help us to receive it with joy, with open hearts, open ears today. Lord, whatever conviction there is, let us turn that into a joyful obedience. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the message today is titled, The Tongue, A Matter of Life and Death. The Tongue, A Matter of Life and Death. That starting point comes from Proverbs 18.21. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. My words, your words, are producing something, good or bad, and it's something that's going to come back for us to eat. Isaiah 55 talks about God's word doesn't return to him empty. It's true of our words too, according to Proverbs 18.21. We want our tongues to be life-giving, not weapons or slow-wracking poison. Because whichever we choose, those results are coming back to us. We're going to look at three parts of our speech today and what Proverbs has to say about them. Truth, tone, and timing. Truth, tone, and timing. Let's first talk about truth. Truth. Proverbs 4.24, one of many, many Proverbs with this idea says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Now that's a simple statement. Put away crooked speech and devious talk. That's very simple. Don't say things that twist the truth or mislead others. And this isn't news to any of us who know our Bible, including the Old Testament. We know we should tell the truth. This made God's top 10 when he gave the law to Moses, right? Exodus 20, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Less well known and, and perhaps more often disobeyed in our culture is Exodus 23.1. You shall not spread a false report. How much gossip, even if it started out as something accurate, which, by the way, doesn't make it right, is false by the time it gets shared a second time. In case anyone was looking for a loophole, Leviticus 19.11 says, plain as day, you shall not lie to one another. Hard stop. That's it. 
There are many other Proverbs that specifically condemn lying, and here's another passage. 6, 16, 19, Proverbs says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Three of those seven abominations that God hates here are directly related to the tongue. So why does God hate lying so much? Why does he hate lying so much? I've got some thoughts. First, we are created in God's image. And lying severely distorts that image. Scripture makes clear that God is a God of truth. He cannot lie and he never lies. Christ came full of what? Grace and truth. And he said that he is the way and the truth. Lying for someone who professes to be a Christian reflects poorly on who and what we claim Christ to be if we are to bear his image. Second, lying harms the liar. Many Proverbs teach this. One example is Proverbs 17.20. A man of crooked heart does not discover good and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. There are many similar Proverbs. Calamity doesn't always happen right away. We see the wicked prosper. There's Proverbs about that too. But calamity will come to the unrepentant liar in this life or the next. Also, lying like any sin for a Christian, it breaks our communion with Christ. It distances us from closeness to him that's so comforting and satisfying and sanctifying. Third, lying harms others. It can result in the innocent being punished or the guilty going free. These are injustices that displease God. Lies, gossip, slander, destroy relationships. It leads to false impressions and bad decisions. To put it plainly, truthfulness honors God because it's obeying God. Now, most people in our culture value truth-telling to some degree, right? But our culture can overdo it in the name of authenticity, being ourselves, saying it like it is, put it all out there, and if you don't like it, that's your problem. Well, we're going to see later if that aligns with biblical principles of tone and timing. Now, we need to talk about a tough subject. We need to talk about gossip because Proverbs talks about gossip. One note before I read these verses um, from the ESV, the Hebrew word translated whisperer in these verses directly means a gossip. So Proverbs 26, 20 through 22 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire... So is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Now, Andrew and I were in Gatlinburg this month. I had a slide for this, if that's up here. Um, the 2016 fire in Gatlinburg killed 14 people, injured another 200, and destroyed almost 2,000 homes and buildings. It started as a small fire in the mountains 
outside of town, strong winds in a dry season whipped it into a huge thing. Um, picture of a resort that was involved, I want you to look at that. Look at the total decimation to the foundation and some adjacent houses that look totally unscathed. Um, you probably can't see as well some of the trees that are totally charred on the right of that picture and others that survived. New houses were being built, but there were plenty of reminders of this fire six years later when we were there last month. Um, one road was completely overgrown because all its houses were destroyed and it's unused. The, the slopes were dotted with charred foundations with no house rebuilt on them yet. Um, blackened tree stumps, dead tree trunks towering above the new growth. Friends, don't be fuel for gossip's fire. Gossip destroys, destroys families, friendships, and churches. When gossip falls on your ears, your job is to put an end to it. Stop the fire. Don't have ears for it. Don't repeat it. We are to be firefighters, not kindling. 18.8, Proverbs 18.8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels that go down into the inner parts of the body. I read that earlier. Once you hear and digest gossip, this is the image of this proverb. Once you hear and digest it, you can't undo it. It tastes good. It goes down to your inner parts. When you spread gossip, you taint others' perceptions of the victim. It makes you think of that person differently now, usually not in a good or accurate way. I think hearing gossip and digesting it is like eating a Twinkie. It tastes good, but then you are stuck with the consequences. <laughs> and they aren't good. Now, I haven't defined gossip precisely for you, and that's on purpose because I hope you will think about it yourselves. And it's a question on the pulpit curriculum if you're in life group and using that as a resource. And even if you aren't, you can still download the pulpit curriculum this week and dig into the idea of gossip. How about flattery? How about flattery? Proverbs has something to say about that too. Proverbs 26, 23 through 28. Proverbs 26, 23 through 28. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Now, the glaze in that first verse refers to this shiny stuff that was left after. They would have purified silver in the smelting pot, and it was used to cover up cheap pottery to make it look better than it was. Um, the image is that of an insincere flatterer whose words mask his actual hatred of the one he's speaking to. Flattery is repeatedly viewed as evil in Proverbs and deceptive and a cover for hatred. Now, on the positive side... We do want to follow the biblical commands to speak encouragement to one another, hope and grace. Truth and heart motive matter. Buttering someone up insincerely, especially for personal gain, is not the same as being encouraging. 
So what about this phrase I hear sometimes, speaking the truth in love? What about that? That's right out of the Bible, right? That's Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. R.C. Sproul once said that whenever someone came to him and started out, brother, I, I want to speak the truth to you in love, he said it, it was rarely truthful and never seemed like it was loving. <laughs> um, the context of that verse is the teaching of sound doctrine for the health of the church over against false teaching. It's, it's not about confronting someone with your opinions. Um, so be cautious how you use speaking the truth in love to each other. Um, so how are we, and I, and I mean we, about truth-telling? This is a problem for me um, in subtle ways. Even if we aren't blatantly lying, how are we at, at exaggerating? Um, I'm an expert at relating stories with a, a spin, that, an embellishment here, an addition or a word change there, and leaving something out that magically make me look like the hero or the smartest guy. Um, that's sinful. That's sinful. Um, it's got its root in pride. Relating things with that spin. How about gossip? How about repeating unproven things or impressions of others um, that are not positive, not meant for good, spreading rumors? And here's a big one. How about assuming others' motives when you're talking about them? I'm, I'm good at that. Assuming I know what their heart is. Insincere flattery rather than encouraging truth. Those are all areas that I know I need to work on. I hope you'll reflect on those and, and see where you might need some work. So enough about truth for now, let's talk about tone. Let's talk about tone. Proverbs teaches and our experience confirms that it's not just what we say, but thank you. Vicki, you can come preach the rest of this. You got it. Here are two of the multiple Proverbs about the right tone. Let's start with Proverbs 15. They're both right there. 15.1 and 15.4 are both Proverbs about the right tone. 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Soft, gentle, that's the tone we should strive for. And the harder the thing that needs to be said, the more important that is. Here are two Proverbs about the wrong tone. 12.18. And, and I think these are all in the pulpit curriculum. If you don't have time to write them all down, that's okay. Don't worry about it. 12.18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 16.27, a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Sword thrusts, scorching fire. Can, can you recall a time when someone spoke to you that way? I, I can. How did it feel? Were you ready to receive what they had to say, good or bad? You know that you can call someone stupid without saying it because I have, just by my tone. I have had more than once someone tell me, repeat back something I said to them months later. 
Say, remember that time when you said this to me and called me stupid or an idiot? And I'm telling you, before the Lord, I know for a fact I did not use the word stupid or idiot. But in truth, did I say that to them? Yes, I did. Did I say, fill in the blank, is not always a good excuse because we do say things with our tone. The right tone that Proverbs instructs us to use means that personal communication is often needed. We often need a certain tone to best communicate our heart for the truth in this person. Text and email can be toneless despite our best emoji use. And I love emojis. I know it's convenient. And if we're honest, texting and email often seem less confrontational and let us hide a little bit, especially when it comes to hard things. I know that sometimes it's helpful for the sender and the recipient to have a text or email to go back and look at it again when it's complex. But since tone is so important, especially with hard things, that's exactly when you shouldn't just text or email. Now, I'll confess, I find myself at times laboring for hours over emails just to make sure I have the right tone. And I probably could have done a better job and saved a lot of time if I had just called the number. It's so easy to misjudge someone from an email or text, and that's partly because we are imperfect communicators. We're not as good as we think we are at saying what we want to say when we send emails and texts. It's also because we're all sinners, and when we read it, we have a hard time thinking the best of other people. Um, at least I know that's me. Um, we try to guess motives. We try to discern heart without seeing a face and hearing a tone. You may come across in an email as hot and angry when in reality you're sad and hurting, or vice versa, and both of those need care and shepherding, but in very different ways. I know that the words we need to talk are rarely followed by good news. <laughs> um, as a doctor, I do know that. Um, but talking face-to-face -face is often the kindest and most helpful approach. Now, I know relationships matter. When we text, we can get away with a lot more. I'll, I'll tell, it's not the most serious story, but you can apply this to more serious situations. This is fresh on my mind. This just happened. It's personal. It's funny, so I'll share it. Um, and this is actually something else not in my manuscript. So last week I broke my glasses, and so I got new ones. These are my new ones. Um, I went to the only store open on Sunday, and they had two different frames for me to choose from. One had too much bling on them. Those were out. And this is all they had to, that matched my lenses. My lenses, I'm a radiologist. These lenses are custom in every way imaginable. I was not about to get cut, you know, these replaced unless I had to. So they gave me the one pair, and I put them on. I tried them on. I sent a picture to Andrea. She said... I don't know. <laughs> Ask Rachel, our daughter. Okay. For those who don't know Rachel, she is one of the kindest people. But she's also my daughter, and she will tell the truth. So I sent her the picture from the opticians, and she said, they look a little nerdish. <laughs> now, if I had... If I had sent, let's say, say, let's pick on two of my friends. If I had sent that picture to Greg and Susan Ward, my good friends, Greg would have said, Todd, you look like a dork no matter what your glasses are. Because <laughs> Greg can say that to me and get away with it. Susan would have said, 
Todd, if those are the best ones available to you, I'm sure they'll be great. They look good on you. <laughs> they're both my friends, and I know where they're coming from. I go to my office at work, and I'm a physician in a big practice, and we've got a lot of employees. Three different ladies recognize my new glasses. What are the odds that they're going to tell their doctor and boss that I look nerdish in my new glasses? Those look so stylish. Relationship matters on what you say and how you say it. I get all that. Back to what my daughter said. I can receive a text from her that says, you look a little nerdish for a variety of reasons. I know she loves me. I know she's going to tell me the truth. I trust her judgment. And I also own the fact that I am more than a little nerdish, and I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but you get the point. We, we can text different things, and they can be received different ways based on how we know those people. Be cautious of that. Be aware of that. While we're on tone, we have to talk about one more difficult subject, and this is something I think is pervasive in our culture. It's almost a, a, a prime ethic, if you will. It's about sarcasm. Um, sarcasm is actually a compound of two Greek root words, and it means to cut the flesh. That sounds a lot like the sword thrusts we read about in Proverbs 12, 18. Men, especially men, I get that you and your buddies razz each other. I just made a joke about Greg Ward would probably razz me. Um, I'm sure my friends are going to double down on sarcasm just to make a point after this sermon. Um, but especially for my brothers here in the room, I want to tell you that sarcasm is generally not a good approach with ladies or children. I see some heads nodding. It's treacherous in toneless texts and emails, and it's outright potentially harmful in person. I've gotten into trouble with sarcasm by email, being misread, misjudging the person and how they receive it. Sarcasm, by definition, is the opposite of soft and gentle speech that we're called to have. Now, maybe some of you guys will say, well, you know what? My, my wife's gotten used to it. She even gives it back. Maybe you think that's just how we roll, so it's okay. Maybe, but my experience, you're, you're probably wrong. Can I urge you to consider another way? At the very least, set a different tone for the speech in your home and workplace. At best, you will stop cutting the flesh of those around you. In Revelation, I know Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth, but that's not one of the ways we're called to be like him. What you think is iron sharpening iron might actually be a sword cutting the flesh. Okay, I beat up on the guys. I'm an equal opportunity assaulter. Here comes the ladies. We have two Proverbs about nagging. They're both in chapter 21. 21.9. Proverbs 21.9. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. 2119, I'm going to read the NASB because I think it's a better translation. 2119, it is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Now, I know these are funny. They're, they're meant to be funny and memorable. But nagging is no joke. Ladies, I know 
we men, including me, can be lazy, physically and spiritually. But nagging's not the answer. It does not inspire change. In fact, it inspires a desire to escape, even to a desert in that proverb. So are you all convicted yet? I promise you I'm going to end with some great encouragements, but hang in there because we've got to talk about timing. Timing. Timing is critical. Comedians know it. Actors know it. Athletes know it. Investors know it. Timing is important in speaking. Here's three Proverbs about good timing. Back to chapter 15, 1523. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. 2511. I love this one. 2511, such a great image. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So valuable. And 1225, and, and you don't need to turn there because um, we're going to stay in chapter 25 in just a bit for the next proverb. 1225, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Saying the right thing at the right time is priceless, is what these proverbs teach. I know this takes wisdom and practice. Do you know someone in your life who just seems to have that gift of being able to often say the right word at the right time? And how precious that is to you? When you need wisdom or correction or encouragement, when you're confused or sad or fearful, how valuable is that person and their well-chosen and well-timed words? Now here's a proverb about bad timing in 25. 2520. 2520 says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart it's like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda. The point of this proverb is don't be too hasty to try to cheer somebody up. Don't respond to grief with platitudes about God is sovereign and he means it for good. Those things are true and there's a right time to say them. But maybe not right away. Don't respond at first to someone sharing something hard, a trial, with any glib reassurances that ah, you went through that too and you know others who did and it's going to work out fine. Again, that might be true, but it might not be the best first thing to say. As an example, parents, when your child gets injured or sick, is the first thing you do to lecture them about safety or hygiene? I hope not. Again, that has a time and a place but it doesn't trump our first calling to compassion and care when someone's hurting. Scripture says that we weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. We show compassion. We enter into others' grief to console them with our love and presence. Now sometimes, to put it plainly, there are proverbs that tell us we just need to shut up. Let's look at some of those. And I promise you eventually today, I will obey that myself. <laughs> the sermon will end and I will shut up, but not yet. 
Proverbs 10, 19, which is a favorite in our house. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Are you listening, Twitter? But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. 11, 12 through 13, 12 and 13. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. The right time to speak or text or email is sometimes never. Some of the things we really want to say flat out don't need to be. That, of course, includes temptations to gossip or to ridicule others, as we get from Proverbs. Now, I do want to complement that with a word for really silent people, especially the men who view themselves as the strong, silent type. You're called to encourage your wife with actual words. You're called to lead the home, defend the helpless, and share the gospel. That all takes speaking, not just action. You can't hide behind Proverbs 10.19 as excuse to always be silent. There are too many other biblical commands that keep us from doing that. But again, this is where wisdom comes in. Now, Proverbs also teaches the right time to speak is not yet. Proverbs 15 again, chapter 15, verse 28 The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Snap judgments are often not helpful um, or accurate. James 1.19 says to be quick to hear and slow to speak. There might very well be a need to speak up, but maybe you need to think about it and pray about it first. Now, finally, there are times to speak quickly and right away. Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 says, rescue those who are being taken away to death, being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? If you hear an accusation against someone that you know to be false, if you see a friend about to commit a harmful sin to himself or others, pursuing an unbiblical divorce, adultery, violence, some other crime, these people are in just as much danger as your child about to run into a busy street. Don't keep silent in the face of immediate physical or spiritual harm. But more often, coming back to our first ideas, what we think is urgent to say should probably wait until we are calmer, prayed about it, thought about it, maybe sought others' wisdom, and considered our own motives. It might not need to be said ever. So when it comes to our tongues, we all fall short in truth, tone, or timing. I know I do on a regular basis. We could admit that. The Bible teaches that genuine believers still sin. 
when James 3 says we all stumble in many ways, he is specifically talking about how we use our tongues in that passage. But friends, if I've convicted you about your tongue, but not of your need to place your faith in Christ, then I haven't preached a Christian message. Faith in Christ, believing who he is, and in his work alone, not yours, whether it's your tongue or anything else, only faith in him results in free forgiveness of all your sins, eternal life, joy now and forever. There will be a day when you stand before God for judgment of your use of the tongue. But if you trust in Christ, you'll be wearing the white robe of his perfect righteousness, not the dirty rags of your own work. We urge you to come to Christ today for forgiveness if you have not done so. And if you have questions about that or have made that decision, please stick around afterward. Talk to someone around you or come down front and speak to one of our elders. Now for the rest of us, those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is in you and always will be. That means you can do better. And it means you want to do better, not to make yourself look better to others or yourself. But you can do it because you have a new heart. You are a new creation now. And you can and want to please the Lord because he's a worthy master. And we love him. This is vastly different from any self-improvement, moralistic speech program by your own effort apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Genuine conversion through trust in Christ alone, enables us and inspires us to obey God, including with our speech. So I want you to be encouraged by that alongside any conviction you receive today. Now let's go back to our beginning, Proverbs 18, 21, our first verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So thinking through all we've talked about, I hope you realize that the tongue, though small, is the most powerful muscle in our bodies. What fruit is yours producing? How is it tasting as it comes back to you? What do you think it will taste like in the future? If it's good, let's celebrate that with praise to God for his sanctifying work in you. And if it's bad, you have work to do. If this is a real struggle for you, I have two specific applications for those who, Todd, put it down for me. Tell me, boom, here we go. Here's two ideas. One's talk to God, one's talk to a friend. First idea, talk to God. Ask him to help you identify your biggest tongue problem. Is it truth? Is it tone? Is it timing? Then be more specific Search Proverbs, as I told you before, at least 250 verses about this stuff. Look for one or more suitable verses to your problem, to your sin, and commit to praying, memorizing, and meditating on that proverb. Remember the hard candy analogy. You need to let that proverb sit in your mouth and do its work to get its sweetness. Don't just bite down on it and break a tooth and move on. I haven't given you much time today to savor any one proverb, but you've got the time to do it now. 
Option two is to talk to a friend. Ask your spouse or a mature Christian friend for one way, just one specific way you can improve your words. Join that person in prayer and then act on the insight. Ask for regular feedback from this person and how you're doing. So we haven't exhausted what Proverbs has to say about our tongues, but I think I've exhausted you, so let's wrap up. Ephesians 4, talk tenderly. Our conclusion is to talk tenderly. Please turn to Ephesians 4. Uh, Brief context, in chapters 1 through 3, Paul proclaims who we are in Christ because of what God in Christ has done for us. Chapter 4 begins with a call to believers' unity and then turns to believers' conduct, and that's where we find ourselves. 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We just heard about those from Proverbs, right? This sounds familiar. For we are members one of another. Paul ties his command for honesty to our identity and unity as Christians. So now let's read 4.29 through 32. A well-known passage. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Corrupting talk, grieving the spirit, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Paul says to do what with those? Put them away. Lay down your weapons that you've armed your tongue with in the past. But Paul doesn't just leave us there. He gives us the godly replacements, right? Build up. Give grace, be kind, forgiving one another. Why should we do this? What does this passage teach? Well, first, you are reminded you are sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption. Now, that's a lot of Bible talk. What does that mean? It means your salvation is certain if you've come to Christ, that God has his stamp of ownership on you, He has bought you back from death and sin by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. You belong to God, so act like it. Remember, before you speak or text or email your brother or sister in Christ, he died for them too. Do you ever think of others that way when you're tempted to speak ill? Try it when you're tempted to do so. And finally, Christ is our example. As God in Christ forgave you. Would I withhold kindness or forgiveness from someone when God has shown me so much kindness and forgiveness? How has God forgiven me? Does he forgive me when he feels like it? Does he forgive me when I deserve it? Does he forgive me sometimes? 
No. He's given a, forgiven us totally, freely, forever. So take heart. If you have trouble sinning with your tongue, you are in good company in this room. We can all grow in our likeness of Christ, except for the sword in the mouth thing. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ultimately, ultimately, at its deepest root, tongue problems are heart problems. And to fix our tongues, we need hearts that overflow with love for Jesus Christ. So if your tongue is a source of habitual sins, repent. Turn afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself said that he is gentle, lonely in heart. He offers rest for your souls. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Hebrews 27.25 says, He, meaning Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you, we have only had time to scratch the surface of all your word says about the importance of the tongue, how it is to be used, how it can be misused, and how the damage it does can be great, and yet the healing and life and encouragement it gives can be so great. Just as your word convicts and comforts in perfect timing and tone and always with truth, Help us, Lord, to speak truth, to practice gentle and soft tone and godly timing. Raise up wise people in your church, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name.